Welcome to Big Bear Christian Center Sermon Audio. Join us today as guest speaker Paul Walterman asks, Who gave you your name? We got to meet Paul and Joni Walterman through Dave Ogren a couple of years ago, and our hearts kind of knit together with them. We just love their heart. They're really close. They live just down in Apple Valley. Paul served on the pastoral staff many years ago. He's been, he worked with Promise Keepers for three years. He's been, uh, he travels. He speaks in churches. He has a ministry called uh, Fresh Heart Ministries, and they have a daily blog. It's really wonderful. But I've asked them to come this morning and, and bring the word of the Lord and just share what's on their heart for, for us as a congregation. They, they move in uh, intercessory prayer and, and prophetic in that moment. And so we just want to welcome them to come and, and bring the word of the Lord to us. Amen. Well, good morning. Push this down to more my height. <laughs> well, it's good to be here. I love the service. I love the way you're worshiping the Lord. It's great. Now, Joni won't come up here, but stand and, at least stand and wave. <laughs> That's my bride of 51 years in one month. <laughs> so, yeah, talking about grandkids. Whoa. God. Don't get us going. <clears throat> it's good. Well, my name is Paul Harry Dwight Walterman, and that'll come into the picture in a little bit. Um, I've found out that over the years, when I speak in a place that I have not been before, it takes about six minutes for people to stare at me and figure out. So go ahead and do it quick, just real quick. <laughs> I'm looking at all of you, too, so... You're, you're as different looking to me as I am to you, so that's good. <clears throat> I'm uh, very excited to, to be able to be here, and I just wanted one order of business. You said this service finishes at, was it 1.30 or 2? <laughs> <Okay. laughs> just put a little fear of God in all of you. <laughs> well, I'm going to speak this morning uh, on a question to you, and it's going to seem to be a very apparent answer to it that you won't even have to think much about, but it's who named you? Who gave you your name? And before we get into it, let's just bow in prayer. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to be with your people. Your people are my people, so we really are connected. And even though we haven't been in each other's presence in this kind of a situation, we are family, and I feel that, and I thank you for that. I ask you to bless what we have to say but more than anything, I ask, Lord, that your spirit would get across what, you're, what you want to say to us. Because in reality, it's not that important that anybody hears what Paul Walterman says, but it's incredibly important that we hear what God says. So anything that I say that is not um, part of that plan, block it out. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me start with a statement. To know what you need to do, you need to know who you are. Let me say that again. To know what you need to do, you need to know who you are. And there is some bit of confusion in some of our minds about who we really are. I'm reading this morning from the message, which is not a translation. It's a transli- trans... What do they call that? Transliteration, Yeah. But I've been using that for my devotions in the morning. I came across this passage here about a week ago, and uh, that's what's 
that's what sparked this message. And it's from Matthew 16. And probably if your Bible is way different, uh, you're better off just listening because otherwise you're going to be going, huh, 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 what? Huh? I didn't see that word there. From Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, when Jesus arrived at the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who are people saying about who the Son of Man is? They replied, some think he is John the baptizer, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But he pressed them. And how about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, he was the first one to always speak up. Simon Peter said, you are you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus came back, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on the secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. Now this is interesting because Jesus didn't rename him. He just called attention to the name he had been given. But where did you get your name? You say, well, from my parents. Why did they name you what they named you? You know, this naming of babies can be an interesting thing. Some of you might not be old enough to remember Frank Zappa was a, <clears throat> was a uh, psychedelic star back in the 60s and uh, had, a, had a son in 1969 who he named Dweezil. Dweezil Zappa. You know, the hospital wouldn't even let them issue a birth certificate of that name. So they ended up naming him Ian Donald Calvin. But when Dweezil was old enough to have had his mind messed up as good as his dad's, he went right away and had his name changed back to Dweezil Zappa. Interesting. George Foreman's got a multi-personality, multi-interest in his life, from boxing to barbecue grills and whatever. <laughs> but he's very one-dimensional when it came to, came to naming his sons. He named all of them after himself. He has George, George Jr., George III, George IV, George V, and George VI. And one of his daughters got named Georgetta. <laughs> and I think someday there's going to be a stampede, maybe five or eight years from now, a stampede to recorder's offices all around America because people are naming their kids after very silly things. For instance, like, Facebook, Apple. Hashtag. I just saw that the other day. Somebody put out a birth announcement. We're welcoming our new daughter. Hashtag. <laughs> I was a lot more fortunate. I was named Paul Harry Dwight Walterman. <clears throat> Paul after my mom's dad. Harry after my dad's dad. Dwight after Dwight L. Moody. And Walterman, my surname. <clears throat> That's pretty cool. The hard part is having to sign all those four names in a legal document. The good part is to be able to put my last name and then my initials, Walterman, Ph.D. <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. So officially, God didn't name any of us. Our parents did. Sometimes to honor an ancestor, sometimes because they liked the name. Names come and go. When my parents named me, the name Paul was about the, I think it was, 17th most popular name for boys at that time. Now it's dropped to 193rd on the list. Okay, So names come and go. If your name Michael, and this is part of the message, there's nothing spiritual you've gotten yet. I, I don't think. Although some of you have a, have a real spiritual side to you, you can you know, get real spiritual reading the label on a jar of peanut butter, but that's okay. <laughs> if you were named Michael, that name has been the top boy's name 
47 out of the last 60 years. Isn't that interesting? So there you go, whatever that has. But who better to name us than the one who made us? Who better to name us than the one who knows us the very best? Listen to this. Here's the angel talking about John the Baptist. says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Well, that sounds like an intimate knowledge of somebody before they even make the scene, doesn't it? Here's Paul, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1 says, But when God, who sent me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, here's God who had that kind of intervention in my life while I was still in my mother's womb. David said in Psalm 139, and this is a passage we all like to, to go to from time to time, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know, a question came to my mind this morning as I was looking at that verse. I wonder how well I'm following the script of what God had ordained for me. I think some of us may have some catching up to do, possibly. Isaiah, the prophet, he said, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. Did you catch that? Now you say, well, that was Isaiah. No, you were called before you were born. Same thing. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. I think that is so cool. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. One last one, Jeremiah the prophet. Now the, now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. I want you to notice those three things that happened before he ever got spanked to his first breath. Okay, God said, I knew you, I consecrated you, and I appointed you. Isn't that amazing? But if we don't recognize what God really knows, our capabilities and our gifts and our mission are, then we begin to make excuses just like Jeremiah did as soon as he said that. As soon as God said, I've appointed you to be a prophet to the nations, then I said, listen to this, because this is, our, this is something that many of us have been saying to the Lord in various forms for years. Then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. Ah, oh, alas, Lord, behold, I don't know how to minister because I didn't go to Bible school. Alas, Lord God, I can't move toward that need because I don't have a lot of money. Alas, Lord God, I don't have time to respond to you because I'm way too busy. Alas, Lord God, I'm useless to you because I'm lazy, I'm good for nothing, I'm slow and I'm dumb. And God says, who told you those things about yourself? My parents. My peers. Kids at school. It's frightening how quickly and how incredibly strong adjectives attached to our name can shackle us for life. We can do it by words. <clears throat> I was talking with a man a while back, and <clears throat> his father had, I'm sorry, I get, 
emotional about some of this stuff. Because <clears throat> I see what tremendous potential gets wasted in our lives. Because we believe what other people have said instead of what God's saying. Talking with a man who had just seen his father pass away. He'd been estranged from his dad for a lot of years, and he was hoping for reconciliation. <clears throat> was at his bad dad's bedside just before his, pa- his dad passed away. The last words of his father to him were, I've never really liked you. Last words. Yeah. <clears throat> that guy is still trying to recover from that. I don't know if he ever will. So sometimes it's words, sometimes it's actions. Had a young man in our church in Coeur d'Alene a number of years ago who was a really good baseball player. When we first went to the church, he was probably 23 or 24, been playing baseball since T-ball, gone all the way up through American Legion. He was, could have probably gone into the majors. He was that good. So playing baseball for 13 or 14 years in the little town of Coeur d'Alene where you can drive from one end to the other in no more than 15 or 20 minutes. His father, who lived there and worked there, had never seen him play baseball one time. Not once. Had never been to a game. Had never expressed that kind of interest in him. So we can't let this happen in our lives. If we don't hear God tell us who we are, and we only hear comments like I just referred to, then we'll never be able to use the gifts God's given us or fulfill the destiny that he saw in us before we were born. We've got to start listening to the one who knows us best. And we never have, we'll never have a chance of partnering with God. What an awesome thing. For God to say, I have plans. I know the plans I have for you, it says in Jeremiah 29. They're great plans. It's not just his plans for us. They're plans that we get to work with him at. We get to move as he directs. We get to, we get to link arms with the Almighty in the plans that he's in, had in his heart before the worlds were formed. It's an amazing thing. But here's the incredible good news this morning. God changes adjectives as easily as he changes lives. Do you hear what I'm saying? He, he can change the adjectives that have been before your name. For instance, childless Abraham becomes the father of many nations. Stammering Moses becomes a strong enough leader to take 3,000 ordinary people from Egypt to the promised land. Little David proves big enough to beat the giant and become Israel's king. Uncouth John the Baptist is used as a PR man for Jesus Christ. Unstable Peter. (laughs) What you see is not always what you get with him. But unstable Peter becomes a foundational part of God's proclamation to the world. Frightened Gideon gallantly leads his army against 400 to 1 odds and wins. Doubting Thomas has enough faith to lead him to a martyr's death in India. Persecutor Paul becomes the best friend the church has ever had. Prisoner Joseph becomes vice president of the nation in one day. Orphan, not Annie. She wasn't in the Bible, not this one. Orphan Esther becomes the queen of the kingdom who saves all of Israel. Unknown Mary becomes the mother of Jesus. Cupbearer Nehemiah becomes the master builder of the city of Jerusalem. The list is endless and the implications are staggering. God is not impressed or dismayed by any adjectives you may have in your name this morning. 
doesn't shake him up. It, disp- it disappoints him when we believe those things. But he's not taken aback by them. He's not, it's not like he wrings his hand saying, oh, how am I going to get over this? He knows what we need to do. Your destiny is not in your history, but in your present and future relationship with Almighty God. Your destiny has very little to do, really, with what other people think about you. It has everything to do with what God thinks about you, and that's why this is important. Now, are you feeling, some of you, are you, no show of hands, this is not for that. Do you ever feel inadequate? Do you ever feel like you're not a power player in this game of life? And the more advertising we have to Christianity, the more Christian television, the more whatever, the more we're exposed to people who are luminaries. Okay? The area of prayer, for instance. Some of you think, I could never pray in public. Why do you say that? Because you've heard professional prayers. The kind that go... O oh Lord, magnificent Father of heaven and earth and all that therein is, we beseech you and we say, we can't do that. And God says, good. <laughs> I, get, I, get, I get a little bit too much of that. Right? Can you cry out to God? Can you, just, can you groan? Romans talks about sometimes our, our feelings and our the, the emotions in us and what we're dealing with is so we can't put words to it. And it's fine. The Holy Spirit understands groans and tears. We see people who have charisma coming out their pores, and we feel, I, I don't have anything like that. How could God use somebody that doesn't have that? I, I don't feel like a mighty man or woman of valor. I'm just me. If you could only hear God saying, that's the one I want. That's what I want. I want you. With all your insecurities and so forth, let me overcome those. Don't you worry about that. I'm not asking you to get to a particular level, but before I can use you, I want you now, now, with what you have. He said to David, what's in your hand? It's a slingshot. Good, I'll use it. <laughs> says to Moses, what's in your hand? It's, it's a stick. I'll use it. I'll use it to set my people for you. A stick? A slingshot? Who's saying that? God is saying that. God's saying that. Here's a good verse for you if you feel like you're underinflated spiritually. Apostle Paul said, remember, dear brothers, and he was a, he was a high roller. He was a charismatic, high A. If there had been television, he would have had his own show for years. Uh, he would have been all over media, PR, everything before. Okay, now God has taken him, humbled him to where he could be useful. And here's what he says to us today. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. Oh, if we, could just, if, if we only understood how badly God wants to show up the wisdom of this world by simple believers who are foolish enough to take God at his word. These people who strut around acting like they've got all the answers to all the issues of life would fall flat on their face in front of one humble Christian who says, no, God said this and I believe this. God's waiting to show up the fictional wisdom of this world for what it is. Utter foolishness. Utter foolishness. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You can... You can't boast in his presence 
but you can draw great confidence from his presence. Okay? He's not wanting to do something for you for you to get your face in the front of Christianity today. That's not what God's all about. So you can enjoy his presence and let his presence flow through you, but you still have nothing to boast about. Because if he takes that away, you're back to what you were before. Let me give you a story of <clears throat> the power of a single voice. I first heard this story. Um, President Reagan used this story in a prayer breakfast, presidential prayer breakfast in 1984. And I've told it numbers of times, and it never fails to impress me. He told about an Asian monk in the 4th century named Telemachus. His life was very simple. He tended his garden, he prayed, he devoted his life to God, and then began feeling the Holy Spirit speak to him about going to Rome. It was a long trip. And in obedience, he left the monastery and made something like a four- or five-month trip, mostly on foot, to Rome. Rome was the center of the world. It was, it was a big, very important place. When Telemachus got in the city, he was unbelievably moved by the grandeur of everything and the immensity of the buildings and, and the throbbing life of the people. And he found himself carried along in a crowd of people that were on their way to the Colosseum. They were there to witness gladiatorial games. Telemachus, a simple Asian monk, was carried into the arena, sat up in the stands, and began to watch. And he watched as these gladiators would come in, two at a time, and stand before Nero and say, we who are about to die salute you. And then go to the center of the arena in the sand and begin life and death combat until one killed the other. Telemachus could not believe what he was seeing. He began quietly in himself to say, in the name of Christ, stop. And then he said it louder. The carnage continued, and finally Telemachus couldn't take it anymore. And he stepped from his place and went down, jumped over the railing onto the, onto the sand, made his way to the two gladiators who were in the arena, and stepped between them as he was saying as loud as he could, in the name of Christ, stop. In the name of Christ, stop. At first, people thought it was amusing. They thought it was maybe part of a, a, a skit or something going on. And then they realized this little man was serious. And one of the gladiators took his sword and ran it through him. The last words Telemachus said as he laid on the sand dying was, in the name of Christ, stop. And then something very interesting began to happen. From way up high in the balcony, people began to leave until streams of people were leaving. That event marked the last time gladi gladiators fought to the death for the sport of the people. One little voice. Does God have one little voice in Big Bear? Somebody who will say to the insanity that life is becoming, it's enough, stop. Killing our unwanted babies, stop. Stop giving access to every kind of imaginable and unimaginable sin. Who can say, stop, in the name of Christ, stop? It's a calling. It's a calling. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be able to speak the heart of God into a generation. And you've been called to do that. You've been called to do that. It's your calling. So are you, are you going to argue about God when he tells you who he th sees you as? You're going to tell him, I know better. 
or my parents were smarter than you. Or those kids in the playground knew far more than you know, God. They knew my limit, limitations, my liabilities. You going to argue with God? Can't afford to do that, can we? Uh-uh. Now, there's one more part of that passage that I want to just share as I... It's not 1.30 yet, so I've got, I got a few more minutes. And I didn't finish the passage... Jesus said, now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. Now listen, this is a rock. And what he was talking about was not Peter himself, but Peter's confession of who Jesus is. He said, upon this rock, I will put together my church. Listen to this now. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. So there's Jesus naming the institution we call the church. Only he wasn't talking about an institution, was he? He was talking about a vibrant life force. And he said, I'm going to make it so expansive with energy that even the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. Now, I grew up not in front of a television for the first number of years, but in front of a radio. It was a big Strongberg Carlson radio. sat about this big, about this wide, this deep for all the tubes in it. <clears throat> And that radio had a dial that was amazing. It looked like it had most of the, most of the major cities in the whole world on the dial. It, it got three stations in Chicago. That was basically it. It looked like it was really impressive. But that radio belonged to me every afternoon from 4.15 to 5.15. That was my radio. Everybody stayed away. My three younger sisters, my younger brother, my mom and dad, that radio was mine. And I would sit on the floor in front of that and I'd tune it into my station and I would listen to Straight Arrow for 15 minutes. Then I would listen to Sky King, okay, which later became a television show, which was filmed in Apple Valley. And then I would listen to Sergeant Preston of the Yukon and his dog King. And I tell you what, it could be 96 degrees in Chicago with 95% humidity. And I was wearing a t-shirt and I could listen to that and listen to the wind howl and I would feel snow go down my back. That's how, that's how real radio could make things, okay? And then my favorite would come on at 5 to 5.15, The Lone Ranger. Oh, return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse Silver, the Lone Ranger. Oh, man, I just don't. So needless to say, I developed a very good imagination. You didn't have to tell me what something looked like. Years later when those came on TV, I went, they got it all wrong. That's not what it looked like. That wasn't him. I don't know who that is, but that's not the Lone Ranger. That's, you know... So I would sit in church and use my imagination. And somewhere along the line, somebody preached on the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Here's, here's what I imagined. I imagined the church was this great big huge castle, big stone castle with a moat around it and so forth. And we, that's where we all hung out. All the Christians were in this big castle. And the devil had these massive gates called the gates of hell. And he would get his hordes all together and they would come riding across the horizon toward the church and they would begin to pummel the walls with these big gates, just smash the walls and boom, just go, go and trying to break us down. And we were all inside. And we could feel the building shudder from the blows of these massive gates and think, oh, wow, I hope, hope Jesus comes before they fall down. And, you know, I hope he comes before gas gets to $5 a gallon. And, and we, were, <laughs> we were in the basement holding out, okay, while the devil had his way with the church. How many of you know that's probably not a good depiction of what that means? The gates of a city 
were the last form of defense for that city. And if there was danger, everybody would get into that place and close the gates and lock them and hope those gates would hold because if the gates gave way, it was all over. And my Bible says that God has given the church such power, such authority, such expansive energy that even when the devil with his tail between his legs goes into his place of hiding and slams the gate shut, it's not powerful enough to stop the church of Jesus Christ. It, wouldn't you rather be doing that than in the basement, coughing up dust while you're singing, hope Jesus comes quick? Huh? That's the part of the church that we're a part of. Now, this is, you know, I got, I got, to, I got to finish here. The church is not seen that way today. Have you noticed? We're seen as soft, irrelevant, full of hypocrisy, out of touch with life, on and on and on. The church does not have good PR going for it right now. And whose fault is that? We need John the Baptist back. No, we don't need John the Baptist back. What we need is something else. We're not living up to our name. You know why we aren't? Because the church isn't a building. Actually, when we leave here today, this building technically is not a church anymore. It's a building. Yeah. We're the church. It's not a denomination. It's not a way we've organized things to keep people in line. The church are the people of God. You're the church. You made church happen by coming this morning. So if the church as the world knows it is weak and irrelevant, what does that say about us? That's what the call is today, for us to say, I see what you're calling me as. I'm going to respond to you any way I can, God. And I want to be a voice representing the power and the purpose of God in my world. I want to be that. I want to be that. We're part of a mighty army destined to win an overwhelming victory for our king. You want to be a part of it? You are already by relationship. Some of you just need to sense God calling you. And you need to believe God when he starts putting his fingers on things in your life and some of the things you've told him. And he says, this is an excuse. It's not a very good one either. Get rid of it. God starts saying, here's an assignment. You're you know about this need, I want you to go in your bedroom and I want you to pray about this in an obedience. See, this whole thing, we, we, we answer the call by obedience. Okay? God puts you in line with somebody in a grocery store and his Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, this person needs a word of encouragement. Are you willing to give it? You say, yeah. Or you give a $10 bill to the cashier for a $6 purchase and they give you change as if you'd given them a 20 and you say, wait a minute you gave me too much back. I think I owe you $10 back. And they go, who would do something like that? I'm a part of God's kingdom, and we operate by different rules. And God loves you. He doesn't want you to be $10 short in your, your end of your day. Little steps of obedience. And what we do, we gradually take ourselves from those old memories of the playground and parents that didn't come to our games and all those horrendous things we've heard in our hearts and our minds, we begin to distance ourselves from them. And more and more, God has us under his own personal control to be able to steer us in the direction that he knows. Some of you can go in places your pastor can't go. Matter of fact, most all of you here have access to situations and lives he'll never touch. People who will not ever come in here. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with those voices in your ear from the past? 
They need to go under the blood. They need to go under the blood. I'd like to pray with you. Father, I thank you today that your calling is the most important thing in our lives. And I thank you also that you didn't just call us now. You just didn't call us the day we gave our hearts to you. You called us before we were born. You gave us an agenda. And I pray, Lord, that we won't waste any more time. There are precious people all around us who are waiting for the church to be the church and to make an impact in their lives. I pray that you'll make this a very serious, serious commitment in our lives. And for those voices from our past that have put adjectives before our names, wipe them clean in Jesus' name right now. Right now. I pray that there'll be things said about us that we used to dwell on that we won't be able to remember anymore. They're gone. Gone. Wipe them away just like you took our sins away. Open us up to brand new horizons. Fresh wind in our lives, Lord. Do something so powerful that any one of us can put the devil behind the gates of his own citadel, scared to death that we're coming his direction. Let it be so, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Amen. Well, I hope you were challenged, encouraged as I was today. They have a website, freshheartministries.org. You can go onto their website, um, see what their ministry is about. You can uh, subscribe to their blog. This is just right out of his heart.